Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and of course, read us over on Indie Cornrows. We have some great stuff coming out. This week is going to be jam-packed. We have five games in seven days starting tonight against the Sacramento Kings. Uh, we have our game preview up on that already. And we'll have a post-game pod for uh, for every game, uh, which is going to be it's going to be a long week, but it'll be a good week. Um, psyched to be joined by Caitlin Cooper. Um, we're here to talk about a multitude of things, but one thing in particular. Uh, first of all, Caitlin, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I think for, I don't know for what reason, I've like cycled back to the insomnia phase of dystopia. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. winter or what, but I'm going to try really hard not to have my sleepy voice during this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally understand that. I've been, uh, my sleep schedule is so so messed up already and I, I start school again next week and we have this western conference road trip so it's going to be a upheaval all across the board but uh one thing I, you know i can't guarantee where the podcast is going to go but i can guarantee that we will not spend more time talking than malcolm brogdon and demonis bonus will probably play tonight so there's that <laughs> yeah so i <laughs> gotta get it where i can Yeah, I think I've already tried to weigh, like, are my sleeping habits going to help me in my quest to stay awake for these West Coast games? Are they going to hinder me and catch up to me and I'm going to be falling asleep halfway through? Yeah, exactly. I I can't remember the last time I was able to stay up for a Pacific tip-off, so I think I might have to take a nap at some point today, but I'm, like, historically bad at taking naps. Uh, So we'll see what happens there, Uh, but... You know, I, I really wanted to bring you on today because I feel like you and I have been two of the most vocal people uh, in talking about the minutes load so far uh, for Demonis Sabonis and, and Malcolm Brogdon. Um, and I think there's been a lot of discourse around it. I know you and I have both gotten some backlash on it from, uh, you know, just on Twitter or in general. Um, I just want to talk about it and see uh, kind of where we're coming from so that we can maybe help some people see, not, not even seeing the light, not to say that we're right or wrong or whatever, but I think there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of genuineness and uh, real um, science behind what we're talking about. Yeah, and I think the thing that's interesting is that Phoenix game on Saturday was kind of the perfect case study exactly. in a lot of ways for this because they played 10 deep. And granted, like you're not going to play Cassius Stanley and Edmund Sumner to the degree that hopefully if Jeremy Lamb returns and after they've ramped him up, what you would be willing to play Jeremy Lamb, I think. But the point being is they played 10 deep and Brogdon and Sabonis still were almost over 40 minutes played. So, like, the fact that Sumner and Cassius were out there and that you could probably, like, is it Sumner's natural position to be running point? No, probably not, but they did let Justin Holiday run point a little bit. So, yeah. um, it ate into Victor Oladipo's minutes. Like, he was the person who played less than his average, not Malcolm. And I felt like throughout that entire game at points, you could tell that Malcolm wasn't moving quite right defensively. And some of that was because they were mixing in a lot of different schemes, but like there's a possession pretty early in the first quarter where he calls for a switch, literally uses a point switch and 
provides no backside resistance and just lets his own person that he was calling the switch on slip right behind him and like yeah. doesn't try to get into the picture to recover at all. And for him to be looking like that that early with the condensed schedule just leads me to believe that the minutes are a lot. But I mean, even on this, the bonus front, like Jakar played eight minutes, which isn't a lot, but that's the same that Goga averaged last season. So even if you're going to lean on the argument of like, oh, when Goga gets back, Sabonis will be playing less. Well, that didn't work against Phoenix. Miles played more minutes. Jakar played eight minutes, and Sabonis still played 41 minutes. Like, it's not it's not leading to a reduction. It's pretty evident that Bjorkren doesn't want to play barely at all without either one of Brogdon or Sabonis on the floor. Yeah, no, totally. That's a great point. And I just expanding on, you know, the kind of lapses in the fourth quarter. Like I like you mentioned with the Suns game, uh Nate plays an entirely bench lineup for I think it's about two minutes and fifteen seconds, hold Phoenix scoreless, and then he yeah, I think all of them except for Jakar came out. Um and puts the stars back in that that leads to the massive Phoenix run. And you could just tell how how sluggish the guys were on court. Um I mean, defensively, the miscommunication was really bad. And I, a lot of it just, I, I felt, was chalked up to energy. Um, and that's what made the bench, the bench unit look really good because they were a bunch of guys who hadn't played most of the game. I mean, Doug and, and Justin were out there, but Ed, Cassius, and Jakar hadn't even come into the game yet. Um, so it, just like getting that energy variance in was huge and I thought made a big difference. And I mean, just to point out, much has been made about how well the Pacers have played in the third quarter. That has tapered off some the last couple of games, but the net rating is still juiced from the first, you know, four or five games. Uh, first and third quarter net rating, uh, 27. But then they, they have the worst net rating swing of any team in the NBA between the third and fourth quarter, dropping to the 27th worst net rating in the league in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, I, I think that that's really of note and kind of important to look at because this team is, is as well as they're playing in the third quarter. If you're giving it all up in the fourth quarter, it's uh, it's not great, you know. And I think a lot of that is like we're mentioning. That's that's due to how much the starters are playing. Right. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I was pointing that out clear back at preseason that you could see that quarter by quarter. I mean, by the style, because you're. I mean, and Sabonis in general, I think is a good one to look at here because I had, I tweeted over the weekend that he's up to third in distance traveled right now. Mm -hmm. which like last year there was not a big that finished in the top 10 other than if you want to consider Siakam like a normal big um, typically I think no big has finished in the top 10 for like four years and the last time it was Carl Anthony Towns and that in part is because Carl Anthony Towns like never misses games but um, and you're not really expecting Carl Anthony Towns to be playing in the playoffs but like if you just <laughs> look at Sabonis's role um He's doing so much more on both ends of the floor. Um, obviously not having the impact defensively that Miles Turner is, but they are asking him to do more defensively than what he was doing in the more conservative naming Milan Danberg system. I mean, he's coming up top and denying forwards the ball and then having to dive back into the paint and box out and get rebounds and then offensively they're using him to run delay action then he might go down in the lane then he comes back out of the lane to go set screens and then sometimes goes back down to box out for offensive rebounds like you're just he's getting a lot of wear and tear so I mean I think you can see like they'll play 
usually Brogdon and Sabonis will play close to the entire first and third quarter. And by the end of those quarters, you'll see like, you know, against Cleveland, JaVale McGee goes for like three offensive rebounds in a row. And it doesn't look like Sabonis has like anything left to give to get him off the glass. And not that those types of lapses aren't going to happen sometimes, but it just seems like evident fatigue. And now Phoenix, I will give Bjorkren a bit of a break, but this kind of leads back into the cognitive dissonance of some of it because they were running so many types of defense in that fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. Like when I rewatched that, they ran triangle. This is the funny part of it. Like they ran triangle in two with McDermott, Justin, Sabonis, Brogdon, and Jakar on the floor. And I'm assuming that they probably thought, you know, we might want to run some triangle and two because we want to use the two against Booker and Chris Paul. Like they might've prepared for that at practice. I highly doubt they prepared for it with Jakar and Doug McDermott on the floor together at the same time. So like, they're willing to be experimental there, but are you willing, you're not willing to like run the bench lineup for a couple extra minutes earlier in the game or, or to get some breaks here or there. I mean, is I mean, the one piece of this, which we might get into later, is like the Miles solo minutes with the bench have been pretty solid. Yeah. Like there's no reason that you can't play that one or two extra minutes a game just to get Sabonis a little bit of rest or to break where he's playing. So like the coaching without fear is definitely coming into play with you're willing to run all these junk defenses in a fourth quarter where they kind of confused themselves with how they were switching against Spain, how they were recovering on swaps, whether they were doubling the post or they weren't. Sometimes you're in triangle two, sometimes you're in man, like you're willing to do all that over fourth quarter span, but you have to play Brogdon and Sabonis 40 minutes to win a game. Like that just feels a little bit like a, like, contradictory to me yeah no I I totally agree and I think what what's been really vexing for me is I I don't want to sound like a pessimist but you know a six and three start frankly is better than I thought this team was going to do yeah um but also I think that that's why the minutes matter so much to me because you look at like these minutes like the games are juiced by playing the guys so much and a lot of teams are playing deeper rotations I don't have like numbers in front of me but that's that's been you know considering how many guys have been in and out of rotations already due to the craziness that's happening. Um, that's just how things have been working. And I think you look at the fact that they're not playing guys, you know, I've seen stuff come out. Well, you know, he's uh, he's just not comfortable with playing um, Keelan Martin yet, or he doesn't have the trust of those guys. I'm like, well, how is, how are, how are those guys supposed to get the trust to be in the rotation if they're not getting opportunities to get in? Um, and especially too, I mean, Tom pointed out something really, uh, that that I, I thought about as well. Uh, I mean, they're practicing a lot less now, which is right. That's one difference. But then at the same time, that leads me even more to think, okay, well then why are some of the end of bench guys not getting run? Um, it, it's just a little bit vexing to me. I, I think like you look at Keelan Martin is the only real forward on the roster right now because TJ's out. Doug is a wing who is forward size, but he can't really guard fours. Um, I, I don't know. It's just like, I think if looking at this, Western Conference road trip, if we're seeing the minutes the same, um, I'll be pretty concerned uh, just because I, I think if, if that happens for four, five games in seven days, um, that's definitely, definitely a little bit worrisome to me. Yeah. And you mentioned what other teams are doing. Like, I think this is a great example by comparison, Murray and Jokic in Denver. Okay. Like Denver's bench has not been good. Like, <laughs> 
Mike Malone has been having to stagger Murray with their bench and Jokic with their bench, and they they alter which half they're doing it, and in part because they had injuries. Jamichael Green was out earlier, other stuff. But overall, their their aggregate bench plus minus ranks twenty second in the league. Okay, they those two are not averaging as many minutes as Brogdon and Sabonis, and the Pacers' aggregate bench net rating right now ranks second. Like it's not like the bench is like I do agree that Keelan Martin struggled in the minutes that he came in and played. Like I don't mm-hmm. think he played well. Yeah. But the bench as a whole is not playing that poorly to require this degree of reliance this early. Do I think that they're going to need Brogdon and Sabonis to play big minutes in a playoff series? Absolutely, yes. Like definitely, that's going to be the case. But do I think you need to be doing it and treating game seven of the regular season? Like it's game seven of the first round. No, not really. Cause like I said, I mean, miles played bigger minutes against Phoenix, but it was mostly with him playing with Sabonis. Yeah. It was, it was them increasing those tandem minutes, which was kind of interesting in all on its own because they were getting absolutely destroyed defensively when they were playing double big. I think Turner and Sabonis, when they were on the floor together, they gave up like 134 points per 100, in part because Phoenix was running actions higher and their closeouts were just a lot longer and they were struggling to, to guard those Spain actions. Like I said earlier, there was a lot of miscommunications, but like just – Comparing those two pairings, I mean, on the whole, I looked up this number right before we hopped on. The Pacers have played 44 total minutes without either of Brogdon or Sabonis on the floor. That's 2% of their total minutes. And to me, like, I don't know how the Miles bench unit will hold up long term. That could be a little bit noisy because it didn't perform great last year, but I do think the offense overall moves better. And mm-hmm. I just think that that's been a strong enough unit that, that, you can squeeze a couple extra minutes out of it. Um, I do want to get your thoughts on one thing. Yeah. Looking back at old Nate versus new Nate, like we know that old Nate obviously cobbled together quite a lot of wins with injured rosters and nobody on the Pacers averaged over 35 minutes per game last year, which is kind of the gold standard in rest management. Like you don't really want guys to be up over 35 and nobody did. And, um, The one thing that I keep going back on is it feels like Sabonis and Miles have kind of reversed roles in the sense that generally Sabonis plays almost the entire first quarter and the third quarter while Turner comes out at like the five or six minute mark and then comes back in right at the end of that quarter and plays a little bit before Sabonis. And that's the reverse of what they were doing last year. Like Sabonis would come out at the six minute mark, return to play with the bench. And then miles would come back in to play with like a hybrid unit. And to me, the old arrangement made more sense and not because I don't think that Turner's performing with the bench. Like this is not a knock on miles at all. Like, Like that's fine. It's just that because Sabonis is being asked to do so much, I feel like he's playing really, uh, high usage minutes more than what necessarily miles is being asked to do. Plus miles is already used to playing that type of a minutes load. And I just feel like it would be making more sense to reversing that to back to what it used to be. But what, what is your thought on that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, overall, I, I want to see more miles minutes with the bench. Cause right now it's only been uh, like a 40 to 50 possessions. So it's again, small sample size, like you mentioned, but they're right. Uh, it's like, I think it's like 80 minutes total. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I they're plus 21 points per 100 possessions right now. And I think especially too, I mean, the, while the statistics haven't necessarily improved, like miles is a completely different player offensively this year. 
Um, and I just think he makes a lot more sense in that bench lineup and they've looked good when doing it. And I, I think to answer your question, um, I agree. I just think things have to be different because while the offense and defense have certainly been different and, and more aggressive uh, than things were with Nate McMillan last year, that, that, that makes it even more so with the minutes. You're like, okay, well, the guys can't play this many minutes for an extended time. Um, and I know one thing that was brought up to me was, well, you know, they were all at all the games were at home early to start the year. So they were just getting this out of the way early. And I'm like, well, still that's a, a, I, even with practicing less and um, you look at it, it's just, I, I don't know. I think the load is a little bit nutty, but uh, I, I agree with, with changing that up. I think finding more ways to just intermingle the starters and not always have Brogdon and Sabonis together uh, because like you mentioned, I mean, there, there's almost never a time where one of one of them or both of them aren't on the floor. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm not entirely sure how that's going to work out, but um, I do agree. And I think that it, here's a question for you, too. Um, well, things are, like I mentioned, certainly different than they were with with old Nate. It's I'll, I'll never get over how crazy it is that we got two Nates in a row. It's kind of uh, kind of a godsend. Makes it easy to not rem not forget anything. Um but just so in just in, in looking at how things are different now, like, yes, the offense and defense are different. But I think what really I don't want to say it bothers me, but what I tried to hit on in the article I wrote a little bit last week is that how is this really that different from how things were with Nate McMillan? Like I know, like I mentioned, the offense and defense are different. Schemes are different. Philosophies are different. The, the, the team seems to genuinely have a much better connection with with Nate Bjorkren. But. You know, I think we were kind of, I don't want to say led to believe, but my general understanding, correct me if you felt differently, but my general understanding coming into the year was that they were going to really take uh, the beginning of the season to try and work out the rotation and, and see how everything looked with the whole roster and get guys minutes that weren't getting minutes last year. They, they talked, you know, the front office and Nate Bjorker talked about that in the offseason about getting run for guys who weren't getting run last year and, and giving everyone an opportunity and just trying to get the most out of the roster. Um, and while they are getting the most out of the top end of the roster there, I think that's where we're seeing really no difference from last year. I mean, if you're trying to, if you're treating the ninth game of the season, like a playoff game, how was that any different from last year? You know, right. and maybe that's the wrong way to look at it, but I think you look at, it's difficult because like a team like the Raptors who, who you could point out like where Nate Bjorken was, you know, they were a team that was willing to experiment and do everything, but it was different because they had Kawhi Leonard. Um, but I still think if you're coming in this early, treating it like a playoff atmosphere, um, I think it's, as we've seen in the last couple of years, is it not better to maybe lose a couple of games early and see how you can gel uh, guys nine through 11 into the roster, into the rotation? I, I, I don't know. Right, and that's where it gets fuzzy a little bit because, yeah, this was going to be one of my questions. I'll just bury it for next week, I guess, is are the Pacers playing the long game? Like yeah. that that very much was what that they, as you say, is what they put out there, that like it wasn't going to be about winning the tiny battles. It was going to be hopefully about being their absolute best in the playoffs while also achieving the goals of development. And part of me wonders, uh, not conspiratorial, but just wonders a little <laughs> bit if they thought there was a chance that there wasn't going to be a G League schedule at all when they were saying some of that. And in that sense, like there would be no place for Cassius Stanley 
or even like if you wanted i don't know that they would necessarily do this but like if they wanted to send gogo on assignment like there wouldn't be any other place for them to get minutes and now that we know that the mad ants have opted into that they might be thinking well you know cassius or whoever it's going to be in that bubble in orlando for an extended period we know he's going to get minutes later on so we're not so concerned with it now it's just that my thing is is like if you continue to play these 40 these guys 40 minutes it's going to have one to two effects either hopefully i this is you know this is the hope that they're going to build up their conditioning and that this is all just going to work out perfectly. And you're going to be hitting your stride at the right time. But we do have evidence from last year that Malcolm Brogdon wore down as the season went on with a bigger load. And both of these players are people with muscle and tissue injury histories from last year. Like it wasn't like a rolled ankle or whatever, like, and that's what makes it harder to stomach a little bit like I know that Nick Nurse in the bubble played some of his top guys early minutes because that's how he wanted to ramp up their conditioning but it's like okay but they hadn't just been Sabonis sitting out an entire bubble and we don't even know how much he was able to work in the offseason and while he's looked sharp for the most part you're doing this early on and I just wonder what the long-term effect of it's going to be because like I said on the one hand I think they are playing the long game because they were willing to try all this stuff against Phoenix. Like that's by far the most experimental they've been defensively. And I think it bit them a little bit, but you take that and think, well, but they might need to run that type of defense in a playoff series. And at least they've, they've actually physically done it. But on the other hand, like you say, like how much real lineup experimentation has there been in a, sense that something's going to carry over because let's face it they're never going to run that lineup that they played at the start of the fourth quarter with Justin at the point in an actual playoff game like that that's never going to be playing so it seemed like yeah that they were going to try to keep guys minutes down develop the entirety of the roster play deeper on some nights kind of like a San Antonio approach where like maybe this one role player doesn't play at all one night but then plays big minutes two or three nights later and that just that hasn't been the case. And I found it interesting when he was directly asked, I forget after which game it was, he was directly asked, like, did you seem like guys were tired there in the fourth quarter? Did you recognize that? And he was kind of like, no, I don't think so. And I try to prioritize getting guys rest later in the game. And it's like, okay, but you're not even benefiting from the coach's challenge later in the game because most of the time he's using those coaches challenges in the first or second quarter, sometimes at the whim of Victor Oladipo. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's very sticky, um, and it it feels like a a conversation you'd be having, you know, like thirty or forty games in the season, but it's just been so pertinent early. Um, I, I'm not sure. I think that's uh, I don't really know what to think about it because I think there's so much that you can pull from either direction. Um, and I know it, like I, I'm sure some people will think that we're just coming off as total pessimists or or that we're, you know, some, someone will definitely take it in terms of, you know, well, we're, we're saying that miles isn't good. Cause that always seems to happen. Um, but I'm not sure it's, it's just, it's something no, that's fact, gonna quite be the opposite. I'm arguing that miles should play some more minutes. at I would five. Agree. So some bonus is playing not 40 minutes because I mean, it was predictable that that's how they would look in the fourth quarter. He has that massive third quarter. You see that type of stuff from Embiid. If a guy posts up a lot and is getting all those rebounds and really battling in there that he had a massive third quarter. And I knew watching it, 
like I had to step away because I was recording something with somebody else during the fourth mm-hmm. quarter of that game. But like when I looked up, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not surprised by that, that that fade happened. But I do want to circle back to one thing. Like what is your anticipation with Jeremy Lamb? Like how do you envision this shaking out? That's a great question. Because um... they have said, I think that it's been said that uh, he's close, but they do know that he's going to be on a minutes restriction when he returns. Yeah. Um, I think, well, th- that's a great question. Cause you look at Aaron has really struggled in the starting lineup, but I also think um, his, I've had issues with his role personally. Um, I-, I don't know where you're at on that, but I think you look at Aaron, he's averaging uh, how many shots right now? Uh, he's averaging six shots a game right now. Uh, which is less than he did last year. Um, So I I think I look at how things are working out right now with that. Um, I've heard mentioned the idea of maybe Jeremy starts and he, uh, you know, has, um, he's just on his minutes restriction and he's a low, low minute starter to give a new look. But I I also, um, I I question doing that just because he's coming off a very serious injury. Um, But in terms of like, what I expect from him, it's tough because he provides a guy who can play the three and there's really not a lot of guys who are full size or like capable threes on the roster right now, but we can't really expect too much from him coming out the gates. I mean, that's a serious, serious injury. And while his game's never been super predicated on being, uh, you know, uber athletic, um, I don't think that you can expect much from him, you know, for like maybe the first two or three months of the season. Yeah, for me, I think my bigger question is, is his return going to suddenly impact what Brogdon's doing? And that's kind of what I was looking at with the Phoenix thing, because like Jeremy Lamb isn't going to initiate offense. Yeah, Like Malcolm Brogdon's running like 45% of his plays are pick and rolls, like way more than what the frequency of Victor's shot selection is right now. And and I don't disagree with that. Like I think Victor's doing well being used off cuts and off Mm -hmm. screens, at least right now while he's shooting the ball fairly decently, though he hit some skids last week, but, and that's the thing, like they played these combo guards against Phoenix. I'll, I'll be it not very many minutes. And it wasn't like Bjorkren thought, you know, I'm going to play Sumner and let him run some point. And, and TJ McConnell wasn't there, but I mean, Sumner is capable of doing that and he didn't do it. Jeremy Lamb is not capable of running point and initiating offense. So I just question if that's actually going to help what Brogdon's minutes load is like, maybe it inches it a bit, but, and in Aaron's case, I mean, we know that the, the combo with Aaron and TJ and Justin and Doug and Sabonis and or miles looked good last year. Yeah. or that it looks good currently with better with miles this year. So I don't really have a problem if eventually Aaron slides back to that role, depending upon what, how Jeremy looks. It's just that I'm not certain that just getting Jeremy and Goga back is going to shift the math that much for Brogdon and Sabonis, given what their loads are right now. I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So that I was terrible at phrasing my question. I think my point with Aaron is like, like you're mentioning with Malcolm and Vic um, and and I mean, even Vic has played more minutes than I thought he would in in some spurts and same thing with Domas. I think you look at, well, they have been very experimentational with uh, some of the rotation and then especially what they're doing defensively and offensively. So much is running through Malcolm and Domas and they're not getting opportunities for other guys. Like that's what I was really hoping for 
with Aaron this year. And it's been tough with him having to be in the starting lineup, but um, you know, I think he's, I think he has the lowest usage rate of his career right now. Um, he's not really running much. And I know he struggled in that fourth quarter when he did get the opportunity to do it against Phoenix. But at the same time, I mean, he was being guarded by Chris Paul um, and Chris Paul, Chris Paul basically McConnell Aaron. And like whenever Chris Paul actually gets to play somebody his own size, he just dogs them the entire game on both ends. Um, but my point is just, I think they need to find ways to, to get more guys the chance to initiate offense. And while it may not be pretty initially, I think you have to be willing to try it just given the fact that there isn't like a real heliocentric person on the team um, or, or somebody that you're going to necessarily like, like you can obviously rely on Malcolm and Domas, but I think the Pacers path to being successful is having a lot of guys who can do it or trying to develop more guys into being able to do it. Well, yeah, because I mean, honestly, I mean, let's just be frank a little bit. If you're not going to be willing to lean on some of those other people, and obviously TJ McConnell runs a lot of offense, but yeah. uh if you're not going to be willing to lean on some of these other guards to not only initiate offense, but to play, then it, it kind of highlights that the roster is, is not very well balanced. Like yeah. you have all these combo guards, but you're not willing to, to try to play them. Like then you just have, you just have a log jam of depth at one position and they're already wing poor. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm saying that a lot, but some of it has been questionable. I mean, obviously, like you said earlier, like I did not expect, I will a hundred percent say I was incorrect. Like I didn't think the Pacers were going to be a bad team, but I expected that there was going to be some bumps in the road that it might take them a while to adjust to playing a new system, even though that the roster carried over. And obviously there hasn't been a lot of that, but I do think it's fair to question some of these rotation things and what the long-term plan was because these types of questions to a lesser extent were being asked about Nate McMillan a year ago. So yeah. I think it's fair to ask them about Nate Bjorkren. Cause I mean, talking about developing younger players was kind of a t constant talking point for the last four years. Yeah, exactly. And I think kind of the last point I want to hit too, like just going off that, like you look at Goga. Um, I don't remember when he's slated to return. I know it's relatively soon. Um, but I mean, you, you look at, at how things are going for him and obviously things were talked about, you know, him getting more minutes before the year, that's clearly not going to happen. Um, and I wonder too, I mean, like he's never played summer league, uh, and because I mean, obviously missed it with the passport issues his first year, there was no summer league this year. I almost wonder if it's better for him to go to the bubble, you know, like the, the G league bubble that's going to happen, but I know it's not going to happen because he's the break in case of emergency center like obviously I mean I guess Jakar is but theoretically you want to have Goga get four or five minutes a game right but um that, that's just like it's such a bind and I think it's just the way that they're playing right now it's so hard to get to figure out how those guys are gonna where's that development gonna come from you know exactly I mean and you and I talked about that at the beginning of the season and it's it's tougher to get people. I mean, obviously I don't, I'm not completely sure of what the machinations of that bubble are going to be and how easily mm -hmm. it's going to be able to, you'd be able to recall somebody if you sent them there or if you're in and you stay like it's tough, but yeah, I mean, in Goga's case, like he desperately needs to get development. But then on the other hand, in the back of my head, I'm kind of thinking like, well, if they're sold on keeping Turner and Sabonis, then when is he ever really going to play anyways? Exactly. Which goes back to the draft pick to begin with. I mean, I do still think there's been some hiccups with, like I said, the double big pairing really struggled to defend with Jay Crowder at the four against Phoenix. Yeah. Um, despite the double block against Houston, they got outscored by 13 points per 100 when Turner and Sabonis were on the floor against 
Houston, the Rockets, I mean. And then against Boston, when Boston wasn't playing double big and the Pacers were playing double big, they got housed in those minutes too. So I do think offensively it looks a lot smoother. Um, Bjorkren's doing things to get them better spacing and, and Miles, to his credit, has been better. Even though the shooting isn't happening, he's not knocking down a great percentage. He's taking those shots and his, his instincts, I felt as a cutter, have been better than what they were a year ago. So that, and then obviously he's just blocking every shot in sight and really propping up the defense. He's just really, really, really propping up the defense. But um, yeah, I mean, it hasn't been without uh, snags, but we'll see during this West coast trip should be illuminating in a lot of respects. I mean, there's a lot of teams that, that are going to be chucking a lot of threes against the Pacers, which hasn't been the case to this point. And obviously I wrote that longer article, but yeah, going to be some tests yeah definitely well yeah and, and one last thing though on miles um so if you cut out the first three games where he went one of 12 from three he's uh right. he's shooting 37 percent on four and a half threes a game and that's in the last six games and he's just been he's been so good i've been so impressed with him this year um but okay so last 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 thing promise uh what what hot food takes you have right now i know last time we talked we uh, we talked about peanut butter sandwiches and chili um, what has been popping on the food side currently? Oh, hot food takes. I did have one. And what was it yesterday? I thought of one. I've been really on a fruit snack bender lately. A lot of Welsh's fruit snacks. Um, they just, they're, they're so small though. The problem is like you have, I want a packet that's like four times the size of a regular fruit snack pack, right? Like it's like eating a bag of chips. Like I, I need more than just like 12 in one packet, but they don't make them sad well i am a little bit bummed this is not a a hot food take but i do have a a winter birthday coming up in the not too too distant future and i really was like i want i think i want a banana cake like i I think that i did and i didn't want to have to go through the rigmarole of making this cake from scratch Mm -hmm. and there is no one in my surrounding area no grocery stores that will sell banana cake mix and i just i don't know what's up with that because my one hot food take is this it all circles back to this cake is better than pie oh it is 100 like head to head if you look at it like banana cake better than banana pie like there's there's very few pies of their flavor um equivalent in the in the cake world where the cake isn't better than that pie like just head to head about the only one is like pumpkin like and i do like pumpkin cake but i think pumpkin pie is a little bit better but yeah so grocery stores or if anybody that's listening knows where you can get a banana cake mix i've even looked online and i guess i'm gonna have to be making myself my a banana cake from scratch which i have never done but that sounds really good to me. That does sound really good. And I, I totally agree. I think cake just texture wise better. I like frosting a lot and pies. I don't like chunky fruit. It's just, uh, I can't, the, the texture te- texture on pie is a tough sell for me. Um, but yeah, cake is cake is so much better. Yep, that's, that's my hottest take. And I just have a lot of odd preferences in general with pie. Cause like I will eat a peach, but I do not want to eat a peach pie. And like, yeah, I don't like, I don't like cherries, but I think cherry pie is good. Cherry so pie I don't, is very good. But like, I would never just go out to like my fridge and just eat some cherries. Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I don't like pits. Like having to deal with pits is kind of like, yeah, it's annoying. I don't, like, where do I put it if I'm not sitting right next to a trash can, you know? 
Yeah, um, I should have come better prepared. I have a lot of hot food takes, but I, I was not prepared for, for this segment. But Well, it was just, you know, I it was on the win. Be but I, I just figured we'll, I we'll have to do one. To be better. We'll have to do one when we do, uh, <laughs> when we record next Monday. We will, uh, we will definitely have a, a hot food take corner to end. Oh, which reminds me that if anybody has like a specific question that, that they want me to co-op as my own for two questions next week, go ahead and send that in the comments and I will look into it. Awesome. Well, Caitlin, this was great. Um, do you have anything you want to plug or, or let people know about before we get out of here? Um, I might be looking at some things that the Pacers are doing on post-ups. I'll just use that as a teaser. I don't know when it will come, but I have something working in my head on that front. Awesome. Yeah, I should have something coming out on Miles uh, on Wednesday because I think that's the only time. Yeah, that's the only day where there isn't a game until like next week. So <laughs> yeah, it's tough to squeeze. It's tough to squeeze in some of these longer pieces with how often the Pacers are. Playing. Yeah, exactly. I've been trying to toggle that in my mind, but we'll get there. Um, to everyone listening, of course, thank you for listening. Follow Caitlin. Follow me. Uh, follow everything we're doing at Indie Corners. Uh, we have a lot of stuff coming up. Um, Tom and I will be hitting you with the post game later tonight. Um, we'll see how awake Tom and I are for that, but we, we will try our very best. Uh, it will happen regardless and, uh, just have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.